Have you ever wanted to listen to two Indian dudes just rambling on about their lives, where they grew up, and talk about biryani? Have we got the podcast for you. Listen to my friend Ramiz and I throw out words like reductionist, psychosomatic, and grilled cheese for your amusement. And remember, you chose to listen to this. Welcome to episode three of Brain Juice. Uh, we wanted to thank you all from the outset uh, for listening to episodes one and two. We have quite the number of plays uh, and you've all been nice in your feedback. So that's what we appreciate about you. Um, for the Letter Kenny fans, that was a reference. Uh, Ramiz, how you been doing? I've been pretty good, man. Uh, happy Eid. And I'm still recovering from the Double plates of biryanis. <laughs> uh, I missed out on the biryani today, but um, I decided to give myself a go with uh, with French toast. So it was the first time I made French toast, got some powdered sugar. Um, and, you know, sorry to all the vegans out there, but we I, I made something called a farmer's omelet, which was ground beef uh, omelet. And it was pretty hefty, man. I, uh, I had to roll myself out from my bed to, to, to my seat here to, to get this thing done. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm like still kind of dazed with all those calories. <laughs> Dude, That's the right. insulin load, it's insane with all that rice. <laughs> yeah, have you noticed like every festival that you go to, right? It would be Christmas, uh, Easter for me, Eid, Diwali, whatever it is. It is just a carbo load. It is a blast of fat, ghee, butter. It's amazing, man. That's why we all like wait for this, right? Like I love, like for me, first time I ever experienced Thanksgiving in the United States was... Yeah, it just blew my mind. Like I'm like, whoa, people eat this much? This is kind of cool. <laughs> <laughs> the abundance of food is just amazing. <laughs> Mommy, why don't we have Thanksgiving in India? Because <laughs> we don't have enough food. Oh, that's true, man. That's, that is very true. And it's um, not funny, away- but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mo- moving away from the, the food talk, uh, you've been watching anything interesting? I've seen um, something called History 101 on Netflix. And it, I, it's a really good docu-series, like 20 minutes. You can just breeze through a few of them. The plastics one is a very, very interesting one. So that's talks. Of, I mean, that talks about uh, the amount of waste we just dump into the environment and how it's affecting wildlife and then even uh, sea life. And there was one uh, stat where there's a huge pile of garbage twice the size of Texas in the Pacific Ocean. And they're like four of them, which are similar. Yeah, that's insane. I mean, this, the, if you imagine the landmass of Texas and twice that, that's like, <laughs> that's a state of its own. We're heading towards Waterworld, man, at this stage. <laughs> the horrible Kevin Costner movie, man. Oh. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, I remember seeing the poster when it came out in the 90s and I was going like, oh, this looks like a movie I watched. Like I was a kid, right? Um, I remember walking to, at the time, there used to be a video store called Al-Bahar Video, which was, I think, close to, somewhere in Salmi, I can't really quite, I, I can place the location, but I can't place the, the street or anything like that. But all that aside, it was a video store. You used to go to a video store. Um, it was like Kuwait's version of Blockbuster. You would go in and rent like a VHS tape. Yeah, you <laughs> would put in. I remember, like, when the the when Star Wars Episode One came out, I went and bought it, um, and I hid the videotape from my dad because I'm like, yeah, I don't want to be return it, and I wanted to keep watching it. In hindsight, I can't believe I sat and watched the whole damn thing. 
because it was a horrible movie. Um, but yeah, I remember like renting, um, you know, videos like videotapes like that. And it's like, ah, I really don't know what to think about Modern World. Even, even today, like I have no idea why I rented that videotape. Yeah, in those days it was like, like the camp prints when we used to get on uh, the internet. Imagine that with the VHS tape. It was horrible quality. It was yeah, so you bad. To, you had to go through the trouble of rewinding them all. That was a different story. Like, yeah, before oh, you... Right. <laughs> oh, yeah, rewinding. Oh, my God. Those are the days, huh? So if anyone's wondering how old Ramiz and I are, we are 40. Um, <laughs> because we still remember VHS tapes. Uh, <laughs> that, that's cool, man. History 101. Uh, definitely, uh, you know, check it out. Um what is kind of, do you happen to know what industry sort of produces the most waste at all or no? Uh, no, it's a lot of plastic. So they're derivatives of um, the petroleum industry. So, I mean, that's just another way of creating an income from the byproducts. But I think it's disposable plastics more than anything else. Hmm. Like, I mean, that it makes sense because it floats. And yeah, a lot of it is just based on excess consumption and low recycling habits. I guess that's the main cause of where we are right now with climate change. Yeah, I have a very, very good friend, um, you know, who studied in the fashion industry, uh, shout out to Anjali and her podcast, uh, 20 something, 20 minutes with 20 somethings, which is actually pretty cool. Um, She was in the fashion industry and she gave me, she taught me about the amount of wastage that the fashion industry goes through, um, which is pretty crazy. Um, I don't have the stats right in front of me. I wish we had a young Jamie, right? I wish we had. I wish it was. I wish. I wish I had a young Jamie to say, "Young like, Jamie, yeah. pull up that, pull up that side. <laughs> or young Prasad. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I, mean, I, I heard like something like fifty percent of the textiles are just uh, used a few, just a couple of times and just disposed of because of fast fashion, basically, like a certain few companies with the letters on them which we don't want to name because we don't want to get sued but yeah they just promoted fast fashion and the whole need for human consumption and excess and i think that's another reason why climate change is just accelerating at such a huge pace you wish you could be 21 forever Miss? no no i was so <laughs> young and dumb at 21 no <laughs> no way no way like one of those companies but uh we'll we'll, we'll leave it there um and, you know, maybe at some point, you know, we should talk to uh, a couple of people in that industry to kind of understand why it is uh, what it is in terms of like that wastage. You know, we've been talking about the sustainability episode at some point in, in the podcast series. So that's something I'd definitely like to explore. Definitely. Um, yeah. But for this episode, I really wanted to have a conversation and record it. I feel that you have a lot of expertise in this field. So today's episode was based on um, basically the work-life balance and corporate culture. And I had a, I'm going to be a little harsh in my questioning, so don't get me wrong. But I think that we have to ask quite a few questions, uh, probing questions to actually figure out where we are leading uh, our future generations to. So are you up for that? Yeah, I'm ready to be probed by your amis. Let's go. Mm, that's all right, man. So, what do you think it means to be a productive member of society? Oh, wow. You're coming right off the bat with the loaded question. Yeah, oh, yeah. 
What does it mean to be productive? Um, I think productive is relative, Ben. It is, you know, quote unquote, in the eye of the beholder, uh, in, in my opinion. Like, for me, being productive uh, in society versus being productive at my work, um, I consider sometimes mutually exclusive. But over the years, like, I've sort of realized that what I do at work and its overall impact to society is very important. And they kind of have come from these like two mutually exclusive things into one like sort of coagulated sort of being now for me, like it's like what I do at work, I really want to make sure that it has an end impact. Like I can remember my first job, um, you know, I worked in healthcare InfoSec, right? And like my, my goal was to stop insurance fraud. Uh, my goal was to stop people from getting their medical records hacked, you know, all, all that good stuff which I thought, you know, eventually I was helping somebody as an end user, like, right? I'm trying to protect your whole being. Um, and then, you know, just worked in the healthcare sector for a while because I thought it was, it was, it was sort of uh, one of the more difficult sort of sectors to work in, especially with healthcare tech. It's a whole other sort of podcast in itself. Um, and, you know, for me, I, I wanted to pick jobs that I thought at the end were impacting society positively um to me that sort of translates into productivity if i can be good at my job and i can at the end of the day impact um humanity in, in, a, in a positive light um that being said you know to some people it's you know can i be productive from nine to five like can i make sure that i hit all my deadlines and, you know in the tech world close all my tickets um uh, that's productivity for some people so it's you could kind of throw it out there and say there's so many varying definitions of productivity and I really would urge people to, to tweet us or, or comment, um, you know, on our Instagram page uh, as to what they think productivity for you means. But to me, that's what it means. If at the end of the day, I can impact human uh, beings. Do you think you were born with this um, need to be productive and an active member of society? Or did you think that it was related to your upbringing or our culture? Ooh. Um, I don't think I was, no, I don't think I was, um, I still continue to be very lazy. Um, that is, uh, that is my sort of crutch. I, you know, you talk to my mom or my dad, they will keep telling you that I was one of the laziest individuals they've ever met, which is fair because I still am. Um, Same. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, you, you know, um, the need for productivity in my opinion, didn't didn't come through until like I had to fend for myself. Basically, you know, I decided like I wasn't going to take another cent off my dad, so to speak, right? And you know, we were privileged to have parents have this opportunity to to provide for us and things like that. The moment I kind of went into business for myself, so to speak, um, that turned me around. Like that cured that will cure laziness. Like being broke will cure laziness very quickly. <laughs> Uh, yeah. yeah, then it'll start turning you to being productive. Did you think it was mainly because you had a chip on your shoulder or because it was a survival type of mentality? It was definitely survival for a long time. Um, I still think it's a little bit about survival. I don't, you know, while I'm more like more experienced now and I have a lot more confidence in my ability, um, uh, you know, in what I do, uh, I still think that a lot of it is is survival. Um 
And, you know, with the need for survival comes the need for, you know, climbing the rung, so to speak. Like you want to, you like survival a little bit too much and you want more of the survival. Uh, so it's it's like you're, you're trying to climb the ladder. And, and I think that's that's what kind of drives us to be productive, in my opinion. Um, yeah. But of course, there's the other side of Vietnamese, which I don't think we're mentioning, which is like, you know, I want to be productive because I like what I do. That's completely different, in, in my opinion. I also like what yeah. I do. Yeah. So yeah. So we're kind of uh, privileged in the way that, like, for you, you have the the ability to do something where you work in a startup right now, and you're able to basically um, focus on something that you like. What about the people who aren't in that position, like people who are working in dead end jobs, who, or at least they assume that they're working in dead end jobs? What do you think their psyche is like right now? Just trying to survive. Um. I can't answer for like a single individual, um, but what I can do is put myself in their shoes and tell you how I feel, yeah. how, how yeah. I would feel. So if I was in a situation where, you know, I was working a dead end job and you know, I have been somewhat of that situation, right? Um, it, it would affect me definitely mentally. It would affect me definitely in terms of health. I would, yeah, for me, at least, I, I, I like, I would probably be cribbing to my manager quite a bit. Um, if my manager was, was listening to me, then it would be a different story. But, you know, knowing that it's a dead-end job, I would definitely be uncomfortable being there. Like, the question I ask myself is, okay, tomorrow, mo- Monday morning, when I wake up, am I excited to go to work? Like, am I excited to go do what I do? Um, if the answer is maybe, then you got to think about what you're doing here, you know, um, or if the answer is no, I mean, there's your answer right there. But if the answer is maybe, I, I think you're definitely leaning towards no. So, yeah. Yeah, that's a really good point. Now, in the place you work at, or basically, I, I don't like to speak in generalities, especially when it comes to the startup culture versus a big uh, corporate setting. What do you think the competition is like in those places? Is it healthy? Is it unhealthy? Is there hierarchies? Yeah. Just give me your um, anecdotal evidence. <laughs> this is a touchy subject. Um, so, you know, most startups um, like to hire, especially tech startups, um, you know, they like to hire people with, with you know, pretty high acumen. And, and, and you know, they're all very smart people, very intelligent folks. Ambitious. Um, definitely ambitious, but they're all very intelligent folks. But I think the need to work at a startup comes from, um, this feeling of I want to build something. Uh, you as an individual, you're like, you see like this, you know, sort of like you know, this, this one flower that's just sprouting, and then all you want to do is add more water to it, and then sort of grow the tree, right? That's that's what we all want to do. Um, that's why I got into a startup because I wanted to help build programs uh, from the ground up. Um, having worked a little bit in big tech too, and like sort of bigger companies you definitely see sort of the political leanings of it. And sometimes and it's very ugly, like, uh, especially in our culture, man, um, just hearing from people, you know, it's, it, it is a little depressing, like, you know, working for, and, you know, I, I'm sorry, I'm going to put it out there. Like, you know, you, you work for Wipro or Cognizant or something like that. You know, I've always heard of political games. Like your coworker does not want you to succeed. Like that's, that's what I've heard and seen for so long. I don't know if anything's changed, but back when I was in India, that's all I would hear. Like, oh man, this guy's just trying to bring me down or this woman is just trying to bring me down. It, 
it kind of sucks. Um, I mean, uh, not to say it's not there in startup culture because everyone has an agenda, no matter what company you work for. Uh, but at least I think in, in sort of this startup world, we're all trying to flower, the, we're all trying to water the same plant, right? And um, sometimes the water is way little, sometimes it's way too much, but we're all trying to build something. Um, that's why I like working for startups because a lot of smart people at the same time, you know, everybody's motivated and ready to go. And in, that's a really good point, actually. And in our culture, especially with the emphasis on work ethic and focusing on basically 12-hour workdays, six days a week, sometimes seven days a week, do you think that's a healthy way of living if you're trying to have a family in the future or basically trying to um, focus on yourself and your mental health? Do you think that kind of um, clashes with each other? So let me throw a counter question at you. What do you mean by work ethic? Like what's your definition work ethic, of work ethic? Like the number of hours put in to a, a project or a company versus uh, a bureaucracy. I Obviously it's relative, but do you think that having a 12 hour workday and uh, trying to have, for example, a relationship or a family life, do you think that's a possibility uh, for the average person or do you think it's, it's on a spectrum. So let me step back a little bit, all right? Let's talk about work ethic for a second here because I, I kind of want to define what work ethic is for people that are listening. So you mentioned the hours. That's a small part of work ethic. Everybody should have work ethic. That, I mean, I'm going to come up I mean, I mean that's it. a given. That's a given. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're earning money and um, you're, you're giving your uh, units into the project. So obviously that aspect is covered, but I'm talking about the raw hours that you put in. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I don't know if I'm the best person to be talking about this because I have a very ha- bad habit of putting in way too many hours into work, even if it's late, even if it's over the weekends. Um, and I've been doing that, you know, um, a lot um, in, in sort of my first job and, and now a little bit too. Um, but there is something that I always try, like, which is to... You know, when you're starting work, yeah, you could start work at 8.30, but I really try to stop at 5, 5.30 at the latest because after that, your your brain's already reached its capacity in those 12 hours, even if you take that lunch break, you know, for 15, 20 minutes. Um, and especially now when you're working from home, your lunch break is in front of the computer. Uh, when you do take that break, yeah. you don't, your mental sort of faculties are pretty saturated all, already, like especially if you're doing a very sort of, high stress job, right? Like, you know, my job involves keeping things up and running and making sure they're secure and all that stuff. So yeah, for me, after 5.30, like I tend to like, I really tend to plateau. And um, as bad as it is, you know, I've tried to push through it, man, and, and you know, continue to push through it. And that's led to adverse effects. And I think we will talk about that at some point. Uh, but yeah, definitely. Yeah. In terms of hours and things like that, you know, we as a culture don't really have a good sense of that at all. Like we don't put boundaries, especially for work, because, you know, like we talked about last in the last episode, like, you know, you, there is that pressure from your boss uh, to make things work and make things happen. To meet a certain deadline. And so, Regarding, could you tell me the difference between working in a startup versus a big firm and how productivity relates to it? Like what are the expectations and what are the pitfalls and the highs? Well, 
Let, let's talk about a startup, I guess, because that's what I'm, I'm close to right now. So I can tell you a little bit about it. Because um, I feel this is like, this will be a good uh, learning experience for people who are getting recruited out of college or people in high school thinking of which um, stream or industry they want to go into, especially yeah. for the tech sector. Yeah, because I've, I've heard a lot of great success stories with startups and, and with big firms and a lot of burnout in their early 30s. And <laughs> this, is a, this is a really good platform to like address all these issues. So let's start with the, the demands from the startup and uh, a big firm. Yeah, sure. Um, working for a startup is definitely way, way more demanding. That's probably not surprising to everybody listening, but yeah, you've got, you know, your, your job is to, especially in tech, right? Your job is to solve a problem and cater to a customer or user base pretty quickly. Like you build software, you get, get software ready and you push it. That's very important, right? It's, it's supposed to be very quick. That's kind of how startup life works. Like you have to be working quite a bit. You know, you, you're you in the grind. The hours. You're, you're grinding because like I said, you're trying to help grow this, you know, beautiful apple tree to eventually produce apples, right? Um, and no pun intended. No, no pun intended. <laughs> no pun intended. Um, it's going to be magical. <laughs> it, it is going to be magical and, and fantastic. Um, whereas like working for a big firm, you can get lost in, in sort of like the, the bureaucracy, the, the bureaucracy and just like how large it is and, you know, how many people are competing for that one spot that you already have, you know? So um, if anybody's listening and, and, you know, you're kind of make, trying to make a decision as to what to start with, I definitely think, you know, go for a startup. It's an experience that I hundred percent guarantee you will not regret. Um, you will be, you know, working in, in a startup, like especially like spending one year in a startup is like equivalent to spending three years in a big firm. Um, and, and to me, like that, that is invaluable experience because you get to experience the, the sort of, you know, for example, right, if you're designing a product, you kind of experience inception to launch and then you start to experience the problems of it too. Like even you start seeing things failing and breaking, you're like, oh, that's not good, but then you learn how to fix that. Uh, and you learn to fix that pretty quickly um, versus like a larger company, you know, where it goes through multiple rounds of QA and making sure things work, and, which is good. But, you know, in, in, in my experience, like um, being it's going steep, through the, It's a steep it's learning steep, But it's, it's very rewarding in its, in its own self. Oh, 100%, man. Uh, at the end of the day, when you ship a product um, and that big sort of like push is done and you sit back that's one of the best feelings in the world (laughs) that's a really really good point you know that that's what i was wondering actually like when somebody gets out of college and they want to have they might have their own um walks in life where they either have economic anxiety before or they don't so talk to me about like if somebody wants to have economic stability first by working in a big firm versus a startup, what do you think is the best way to go about it? If, you, if you're still very undecided. If you innovation aside, me, innovation right, aside. So, right, so if you asked me maybe like three years ago, um, I, would, I, would give, I would have given you a different answer to what I'm about to give you. Nowadays, startups pay equivalent or sometimes even more than big firms for your first job. If you are talented yeah. enough and if you are good enough, um, trust me, like you will get paid no matter what, especially in tech. Um, yeah. 
you know, there is of course a difference between like a two-person startup versus a a 20% startup, for example. Of course, you know, you're not going to get paid the big bucks in a 20%, in a 10%, sorry, 2% startup versus like the 20% startup, right? Um, economic stability, especially like when you're first starting out, man, I think, you know, you're going to have that naturally uh, because it's your first job. And the fear is there, yeah, for sure. Yeah. How much you spend on yourself? Um, well, you could spend a lot on yourself, but yeah, in reality, like how much are you going to spend? So yeah, I think it, it's much more rewarding to be in, in a startup. That's my opinion. Oh, that, that totally makes sense. So people in college right now who are going through their first rounds of recruitment, what do you say to them, especially when it comes to interviews? Like, what would you say? Like, how would you perform? What should you do? What shouldn't you do? Not This isn't like a cheat sheet, but basically, what are recruiters looking for? <laughs> that is a great question. And once again, I'm not sure that I'm most qualified to do this. Um, I can give you an experience that, you know, I had where... Um, I would show up to my master's, like when at the end of the master's sort of cycle, right? You 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 go, uh, we had job fairs and we would go to job fairs. And I remember like for the first two years, like also the field I was in and my, what I had my master's in was pretty hot. And it was like very much in demand and, you know, people wanted you and things like that, right? Um, but you, I, for the first two years, I remember like, well, first year I remember putting on a suit and like dressing to the nines, making sure I had like, I don't know, at least 100 copies of my resume and just left it all on tables. I remember making business cards at some point. Uh, but yeah, yeah. We've all been through that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, dressed to the nines. Like there's a time and place for that, right? And I walked around, you know, giving my resumes and stuff like that. But everybody I've talked to, even though I was pretty confident, you know, they were looking for certain things um, that I, I didn't feel like sort of meshed with what I wanted to do or like what I wanted to work for. It, yeah. I don't know if that makes sense. Like, I, it, it, it makes total sense, yeah. Right, it didn't seem like the environment. So the, the second year, you know, me and a buddy of mine, um, we decided, well, I decided I wasn't going to dress up really. I just wore like a button-up T-shirt and jeans and uh, it was cold in, in Philadelphia, so I wore an overcoat. I walked in and, you know, hey, yeah, I, I found... Uh, you know, Ankit Patel, who, who I will shout out on this podcast because he's been an awesome mentor and continues to be. Um, I saw him from like across the sort of like hall and I saw it was written security. And I was like, oh crap, that's what I want to do. And I made a beeline for him, like avoided every all the other people that I've seen for the last year in job fairs because they've, you know, they've come again and again. I avoided all of them, went straight to him and I just had a conversation. That's all I had. Um, and my interview was... A conversation so i don't know even even my second job interview was a conversation third job interview was a conversation um so like i said i, I don't know if i'm the most qualified to give you this answer because i'm not going to tell you practice lead code or you know take the top 10 interview questions from the internet and then look through that yeah, i mean that's available on the internet I mean, yeah, that's not what we're trying to do yeah i think if you just be authentic, be yourself. Don't try to project yourself as a know-it-all. Don't try to project yourself as something you're not. Trust me. All people want is honesty and just like a Integrity. connection, right? Like if yeah. you can connect with somebody and think, I remember like my second job working in collective health, it was my favorite interviews ever because it was super easy. Like all I had to do, they, I know they had prepped questions and everything else, but 
we connected uh, on a personal level. And, you know, I, I knew for a fact that that was where I wanted to go work because, you know, I knew I'd have an awesome environment to kind of be what I am today. So. Yeah. And just uh, on the point of your friend, how significant of a role do you think mentors and friends play in you, you choosing your field in college? Oh, boy. Um, a huge, 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 huge part. Um, I wouldn't say have one mentor, right? That's, that would be a fallacy for me. And that would be something that I don't agree with. I think you have to have a collection of mentors, each having different principles, each in a different stage in their life. Um, you know, and under, you know, each in like sort of like different career ladders, each in different industries. Um, and I think that's very important. Um, I still keep in touch with, uh, with a lot of my people from, from my first job, um, as well as people in my last job. And they're all in like different fields, different companies. Uh, it's very important to do that. Like I, I have a, a good friend who's studying theology as a priest. So yeah, these are all mentors that, that kind of shape your careers and things like that. So have a collection of mentors that will help you grow as a person because that will reflect onto what you do in your job. Definitely. I totally agree. Otherwise, it's just hero worship if you're just after one mentor. Yeah, uh, for sure. Everybody yeah. wants to be Batman, right? <laughs> All right. I think this is the end of part one. Uh, Already? Um, we're going to wow. go. Yeah, <laughs> dude, time flies. <laughs> we're trying to keep it short. We're, try... we're trying to keep it uh, as digestible it is for everybody. In part two, we're going to talk about work-life balance, how fulfilling work is, and plenty more so stick around all right see you on the flip side well that was part one thanks for listening to us so far in part two we talk about work-life balance being fulfilled at your job and other rantable topics so without further ado here's part two all right welcome to Part two of Brain Juice. Hope you enjoyed part one. Uh, in part two, Ramiz will continue to probe me, I believe. Hello, Baya. <laughs> Shout <laughs> out to Danish State. <laughs> we start our day with Danish State videos, and it's um, it's pretty silly because I think that's all our Instagram chats are about. Uh, it's just randomly us sending Danish State videos, and it's that dude is hilarious, man. He gets like the 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 impressions for every state in, in South India just perfectly spot on. Oh yeah, dude. Especially his uh, this thing that uh, localite Bangalore Muslim crowd. It's, it's spot on. Especially someone who comes from that background who's seen that life. It's it, it is it is like to the point. Yeah. So yeah, you guys should definitely check out Dana Said on Instagram. Yeah, he's he's, he's amazing. Yeah, I, I hope we plug him enough that eventually he owes his money. But uh, for now, free <laughs> plug. Um, let's. Uh, do you want to hit hit up uh, part two? Yeah, definitely. So uh, in this part, I want to talk about work life balance mm. and how important it is to um, have two parts in your life. I feel that, in my opinion, if you uh, if you're uh, just trying to be completely ambitious and focus on achieving something in your career, then definitely go for it. But um, I'm trying to reach out and talk to people who are kind of conflicted, who aren't really sure of uh, just going that route and finding fulfillment when it comes to your work 
and people in our age group who are thinking of starting families down the line or in relationships. So I really wanted to ask you about that. How do you compensate and uh, cope with the excesses of a startup? You want the short answer? No, it's a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Lot of illicit substances. No, 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 no. That's a great question. Um, you know, I've often sort of struggled with this whole work-life balance thing because I, I, I question when can you achieve work-life balance? Like at what part in your career can you say that I can stop working at 5.30 you know, in the evening, stop working during the weekends. When can you say that you're comfortable enough to do that? Um, and having worked with managers that kind of understand the, the idea of mentally separating yourself from work and you know, your daily life, um, the answer has like unanimously been, you, know, you, can, you can do that immediately. Like, your career is never going to suffer if you don't work that three hours. And if you do, if, if your career is in jeopardy and if your manager or your boss is putting those kind of restrictions on you, I'm sorry. I think you got to start looking for someplace else, man. Um, and, you know, for me, that, that work-life balance is pivotal. Um, we talked a lot about mental health in the last episode. Uh, having that sort of boundary contributes to such positive mental health you know, the ability to turn off your, you know, we use Slack heavily, once again, not a plug for Slack, but we use Slack heavily. Turning off your Slack after that particular time of work, it works. Like, you know, you you don't have that itch to to go check out what the notifications are. Nobody's bothering you. Um, to me, that's important. Like, just having time to just sit down, uh, you know, do yoga, do, do jiu-jitsu, um, watch the, the eight seasons of Letterkenny again. You know, th- those are things that I like doing. Like, uh, and if I don't have time for it, I'm never going to be like sort of satisfied outside of my work life. And heck, you will never be satisfied at your work life either. Yeah, I, I had this question, you know, where do you feel that in some startups, like in the big firms, this is already a given, but do you feel that in some startups, uh, the managers reduce you to just a unit of output rather than taking your whole being into consideration? 100%. 100%. Um, There's this fantastic quote. uh, I kept reading, you know, I hate to say this, but on LinkedIn, um, you know, I I was reading about, about sort of why people leave. Why do good employees leave companies? Well, for starters, good employees don't leave companies. Good employees leave bad bosses. 100%. And that, I think, you know, when you, you have to realize, like, in today's world, it's not where somebody's coming and interviewing you. Like, you know, not, it's not like the recruitment days back in when we were in college where somebody from Wipro or TCS will be coming to your college recruitment campus anymore. It's very much you interviewing the company. You have to realize that. It's like you very much have to interview who you're going to work for. Um, and understanding what kind of boss or what kind of uh, human being as well you're going to report to, um, trust me, that will contribute completely to, to the way you work and the way you're perceived in, in your company. And when it comes to fulfillment, how fulfilled do you think people really are when they've seen or heard horror stories where the managers or the CEOs are just trying to build a 
shaky skeleton product and just sell it to the next um, Fortune yeah. 500 tech company and just get a huge payday and fire their workforce. I know this is a really touchy subject, but I think this definitely should be addressed given all the layoffs and um, H-1B visa problems and everything. How, how do you figure out, like, you definitely have a lot of experience in startups. How would you um, train somebody or give them guidelines to figure out whether the CEO or um, the managing director is just there for a few more years until it gets sold? That's a tough one, man. I don't think you can do that until you actually go into the company. Like, and that's, that's just the God's honest truth. I don't think that's something you can judge from like outside in, right? Because there's, there's the way it's like the whole wizard of Oz thing where it's the whale curtain and then you open it up and it's just a man operating machines. That That's how it is. Like you don't know until you actually get to Kansas. Like, well, sorry, no, until you actually get out of Kansas. <laughs> Got my wizard of Oz stories across um yeah it's that's a rough one dude um i i don't think there's a good enough answer um but i'll, I'll say this like the moment you're reduced to just a number and you have a, a manager and you have a team that's not contributing to your growth as as a, as a human being as somebody who wants to be fulfilled at work um you're not never going to be fulfilled <laughs> the work may be interesting it'll be interesting for a while and then eventually you're just going to drop it because the culture around you, the environment around you, the, 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 the morale, the morale. Yeah, exactly. The morale around you is going to start dropping and it doesn't matter if it's the coolest tech in the world or, you know, the coolest job you can do. Eventually that's going to kill you. Um, and you never want that. And how often have you seen um, around you that a lot of these companies are just bluffing so they can get some venture capital funds and have a little payoff and then eventually get, uh, yeah, get like sold or acquired by some other company. How often have we seen that? Where I'm not saying that uh, it's fraud, but how often have we seen people extend the truth more than it is? All the time. Um, that's your that's your selling point as a company, right? Like you you might come into it. Let, let me tell you this, Ramiz. I think most CEOs, uh, when you start a company, they come in with good intentions. I, I don't think that they don't come in with good intentions. They always come in with the idea of solving a problem that's been unsolved or, you know, it's, it's solved, but it's not solved as best as possible, right? Everybody comes in with that mentality. And then it's not until you start seeing the Benjamins, right? That you right. start start like wondering, oh, you know, maybe I can get bought up for 250 million. And so I will just continue to put pressure on my, employees to churn out a product basically you know even though my product is a quote-unquote pig i'll just put lipstick on it and sell it um but lipstick on a pig is still pig so it 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 really is is it's prevalent quite a bit although i won't say that it's the overall sort of um overall sort of like picture of what startups look like a lot of a lot of people are doing trying to do the right thing and help people yeah, and this is not just a, a, a statement on tech companies. A startup can be any small business. That's just another word for a small business. And yeah, any small business sees a lot of ups and downs, a lot of fraudsters, a lot of leaders who are altruistic and ambitious and who actually care about their employees. So I feel that you have to learn how to gauge people and ask them certain questions which are between the lines and 
gotta understand where their mindset is, whether they treat you with respect, and uh, they take your. Uh, this is gonna sound very silly, but your feelings into consideration when when they ask you a lot of questions about your family life, and when they're trying to build a community around your uh, around the company, and yeah, I've I've seen a lot of people get laid off, especially on LinkedIn. I'm just seeing so many. Uh, old friends of mine who are just going through a lot of turmoil right now and it's rough it's really really rough i mean how important are skills at this point um always be innovating always be learning um uh, that is something i will advocate for like you know what you learn in college is all fine but uh, i think you should definitely spend some time to yourself just improving on what you learn like especially if you're in tech, like you have, and what I do, you have to keep innovating continuously. So I think that's important. Yeah. Um, these are excellent points. Uh, I just want to come back to work fulfillment. What do you feel is more fulfilling like on a personal level? Is it family life? Is it um, work life? And do you think that cardiovascular exercises or any type of uh, training like jiu-jitsu, do they enhance your uh, work life and your family life? Or do you think it's all about balance for you? So I think we're talking about two different things, right? Like when you're talking about work fulfillment, um, I see it more as, okay, is the work I'm doing making me happy? Is the work I'm doing taking into consideration my entire skill set, my expertise, and then am I happy with the end product that I'm delivering? And then you talked a little bit about exercise, which I think kind of falls into the, the, the overall like work-life balance thing, right? So maybe I can I can talk about work-life, work fulfillment first and then maybe jump to that or do you want to do the, with whatever way you want to do it? No, we'll, we'll definitely, yeah. <laughs> no, we'll definitely do the work fulfillment thing. That's, I feel that's the most thing because we spend more than half of our waking day on work. And I feel that, if you're going to do something that's going to p- give you a paycheck, you might as well do something that's going to lead to something that's going to either selfishly lead to a legacy or altruistically lead to something that's going to benefit humanity. Um, once again, uh, you know, I'm going to stay somewhat neutral and now say to each their own. Um, but I do see the shift in our sort of generation where, you know, and younger where we're like, yeah, man, I don't really give a damn about working for IBM anymore. You know, I want to go do my own thing uh, oh, I because, I, because yeah. I feel like, you know, we can, because uh, we can sort of build things ourselves, and eventually, you know, I can be, once again, I can be a productive member of society, help my fellow human being. I think for me, that's fulfillment in my work. Um, my skills are being appreciated at the same time. My expertise is being appreciated at the same time. And I feel like the product or, or the result of my hard work, right, the, the waking hours that we spend is being appreciated. And I feel fulfilled as part of my, part of my job. Yeah. How, how important do you think empathy as founders, do you think, plays into workmen or uh, worker morale? Oh, boy. Um, yeah, at Collective Health, and once again, I, I love that place, and I'm going to keep plugging it because it's a fantastic organization to work for. Um, they had this one line for the engineering team, which was code with empathy, 
And I, I take it to myself, you know, take it hard because I've never seen that anywhere else. Like, oh, I feel that. I definitely feel that for sure. Yeah. Especially in like healthcare tech, right? You are, you're dealing with people's lives and, you know, the, the, all the mental aspects that come with healthcare and, and you know, especially the, the bureaucracy. Broken, the bureaucracy and of course the, the broken system uh, of healthcare in the United States. Um, uh, to be empathetic uh, as a CEO and as a co-founder is so important. Um, you know, it, it's, I understand the need for chasing the deal, uh, chasing the, the, the sort of the bottom dollar. But um, at the end of the day, if you're not empathetic towards your end customer and your end user and your employee, what's the point? Like you might as well be a revolving doorman. Like, trust me, like if you, if you don't show that empathy, if you're not showing the EQ portion, uh, right, you're, you're just going to be a revolving door. Yeah, I, I totally agree because especially in something like healthcare, you're trying to reduce a person's pain and suffering, especially in the bureaucracy. And I kind of deal with that in uh, the, the, the dental field and in medicine, our primary goal is, reducing the pain and suffering of an individual. And if you're not doing that and you're trying to just acquire as many customers or profit off of their data, if you're trying to do that, at the end of the day, you have to look at yourself in the mirror and see whether your input is based on uh, financial incentives rather than the art of coding. Because the way you talk about code and uh, uh, the technology aspect is there's a lot of emotion that goes into uh, doing this you'll be surprised like you know when you get into that pressure cooker situation where you know you have a boss and you have a company that's continuously like hammering you like you are the nail um it, it's interesting like you everything about coding with empathy or coding with sanity goes out the window and it becomes coding just, <laughs> just make it work so <laughs> And you know, unfortunately, like a lot of startups that I think are chasing the dollar, um, unfortunately go through it. Um, they release products that are very bare, that are horrible to use, um, that don't, that barely works, that barely not intuitive at all, barely solves the problem. Yeah. Um, and you know, you 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 because uh, developers are like, we just need to get it out, and so I'll just code it really quick. That's it. It's it's yeah. a hack and slash shop, right? So. Yeah, and especially with a lot of boomers, sorry, boomers, but a lot of them being managing What's directors. What's problem with boomers, man? <laughs> Dude, <laughs> I don't have anything against boomers. I'm just saying that there's such a um, uh, cognitive dissonance when it comes to uh, uh, the boomer generation using technology and us embracing it. I'm not saying I'm a, any tech whiz by any stretch of the imagination, but I feel that because... Uh, Technology is so complicated and so uh, intuitive. I feel that a lot of them who are managing directors and uh, managers in these uh, venture capital funds or private equity firms, I feel like a lot of them get, um, quite frankly, fooled into believing that this is the next unicorn. True. Uh, I, I definitely think so. Uh, but, you know, apart from um, the, the unicorn chasing uh, it's also chasing the dollar. Like I keep, I keep harping on that because I've seen it happen. I've seen good companies, you know, good people um, go down with bad bosses and bad, and as a result, bad companies. So. Yeah. 
Anyways, uh, to end on a lighter note, we have a really good song uh, that we want to plug. It's by a band called Zebra Strap. The song's called Bliss uh, slash Eri. And um, in part three, we're going to talk about uh, the mental ha- health aspects of uh, the work-life balance. So yeah, quick- see you guys in part. Yeah, yeah. Before, before we end, though, I, I, I like the fact that you plug Zebra Strap. Uh, for those of you that don't know, um, we do like sort of exposing um, you know, local bands uh, that we consider uh, you know, really cool music. And, and in the last episode, we plugged the story experience with Listen To Me. It's a good little listen on Spotify. Uh, Zebra Strap uh, is a band that we know very well, Ramiz, because we grew up with the, with the two performers in the, in the band. So um, definitely give them a listen out on Spotify. Um, and once again, that's Zebra Strap with Bliss Airy. See you guys in part three. Before we do jump into the song, Ramiz and I wanted to give a special shout out and thank you to Zebra Strap for actually giving our logo an upgrade. Here I was about to use my MS Paint skills. Give them a follow on Instagram at Zebra Strap and listen to Bliss Airy on Spotify. Rock on, fellas. Hope you guys enjoyed that song by Zebra Strap. It's called Bliss Airy. And in part three, I want to talk about um, a comparative note between the Indian uh, startup culture and tech industry and the uh, broader landscape, uh, especially in the mental health aspect. So let's start with the Indian culture um, in the tech industry. What do you think? Ooh. Yeah. What yeah, that's a tough one for me to answer. I'll tell you why it's tough for me to answer because um, I haven't been part of the, excuse me, I haven't been part of like the the, the new wave of Indian startups, you know, the new Bangalore sort of wave. Um, I know it's very different and, and we both have very good friends that are in that sort of zone and in that sort of industry. Uh, maybe at some point, you know, it would be awesome to bring one of them on to talk about this. Um, but when I was there, it was very much the age of the Wipros, the TCSs and the Cognizance, right? It was very much the age of you work till you can't anymore. You know, you had quote unquote shifts, but uh, you know, you were still going to work your butt off, so to speak. Um, and it wasn't very fulfilling. Like we talked about, uh, it was, it was a job. It was a job that you went to far away from the city at a tech park. Um, and you would go and sit in there and, you know, you would sort of be the, the, the outsourced help, right? Um, and sorry, I'm going to call it like it is, um, you know, people over here don't care about it. You know, um, it's kind of an interesting sort of, uh, sort of, sort of, cultural view on on outsourcing as well um but yeah you know you you were the help man um i'm sorry you you know you were not particularly good help um so yeah it was very much the tcs uh your manager is going to yell at you because that's what managers are in india they yell at you um but i don't know what the situation is like for most of my friends that i talk to you know we're all empathetic people i think our generation sort of starting to change that a lot and really you know, tap into startup culture, really tap into sort of the empathy side of it uh, while trying to make products that make sense. Do you think India and the whole startup scene is still uh, playing catch up or do you think they're on par with uh, a lot of other innovative companies in the rest of the world? We're innovating, man. I, I don't know um, if, if people are wondering like if our startup culture is, is well, forget about startup culture. If, 
our companies, our startups are, are on par. We very much are. I, I think that there's a lot of good companies out there that, you know, especially in India, like, I can't remember the name of the company, but it's a fantastic company that shows up on a, on a top 10 list of artificial intelligence companies. There's so many good people out there that, you know, that have worked the, the, the old sort of vigorous jobs and have said, this is, this is bad. This is horrible. I'm not fulfilled. I don't have my work-life balance. I don't feel like my expertise is being considered. They've stepped out and they've started to build products that are really helpful to uh, your fellow human being, you know, especially in India. Now, adoption is a totally different scenario. I mean, it's like, is somebody going to adopt your technology? Um, I don't know where that culture is yet, but I think that we are on par. There's a lot of people from Silicon Valley that, that did the whole migration back to um, yeah, yeah, I've heard of that. Yeah, definitely. In Bangalore and in Chennai and places and Bombay and places like that, who've also sort of bought the the Silicon Valley culture and the Silicon Valley sort of startup culture. You know, having worked in the Bay Area a little bit, I can sort of talk about that, right? So, um, I, I think we're we're very much on par um, as far as like adoption. That's whole different. Like, you know, people are going to adopt Uber here faster than they're going to adopt Uber in India, right? You'd so, be surprised, yeah. though. I mean. When it came to uh, metropolitan cities like Bangalore, because of the high growth uh, strategy of Uber, they, a lot of people trust these brands more than the local rickshaw or taxi guys. Because that's what Bangalore needs, right? Like more cars on the road. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Don't get me started on Bangalore traffic. Oh, my God. Yeah, but, but just getting back to the mental health aspect. So my main um, prerogative is... How do you balance the 12, 13, 14 hour workday, that um, Indian culture, work culture, and uh, um, your personal fulfillment? How do you balance that? Or is it something that's unsustainable? It's sustainable. Um, they, don't get me wrong, man. There are going to be times where you do have to put that extra shift. Like it has to happen at some point. But, you know, for the most part, you got to realize that you have to put boundaries. Um, now, uh, I'll answer this from a personal perspective, and then we can talk about the culture. Um, in my opinion, if you set boundaries to yourself, like, I understand these are the people that you spend most of your day with and stuff like that. But if you don't set formidable boundaries and say, you know, I'm not available after this time because I want to spend time with my family. I want to spend time improving my health, improving myself, um, exploring my other interests, and and you know, um, you know, whether it's watching uh, weird conspiracy videos about chemtrails. <laughs> uh, I'm looking at you, guys. I'm kidding. <laughs> or, or or if it's if it's yoga or if it's Brazilian jiu-jitsu, like those are things that you have to do to improve yourself. Um, uh, on the other hand, you know, when the day you stop, like sort of imposing those boundaries and you let people come in and, and, you know, you start to, to say, you know what, that's okay. Um, I'll, I'll forget about those boundaries for a bit and just let, uh, just, just, just work. Um, that becomes very dangerous, man. And I've done that in the past. I've done it recently as well, where I've let sort of work creep into my personal life and take over and I've worked till like three, 4 a.m. And um, and because of that, you know, there's, we go back to the whole episode last, last the whole last episode where you take on so much stress, anxiety, depression, they all kind of manifest. 
And then you start projecting that on your family, friends, and, and other people around you. And that's not good. That's Most importantly, like your physical health will fail immediately. Um, I have seen this very much happen. Now, of course, you know, the lockdown's not doing us any favors. Like we all are getting a little budgier. Um, but, you know, uh, there's been moments where like, oh, you know what? I can't work out right now because I have to work. Um, that's not even time sensitive. Things are not even time sensitive. It's just you just doing things because, you know, you've had that pressure from up top or you have that sort of um, impetus to to get things done. You know, get things done. Uh, that was always a comment that I heard quite a bit. You have to get it done. I mean, I'll get it done, but I'll get it done within a reasonable time frame. Um, yeah, it, it's hard to, to sort of build those boundaries. But once you do, stick to them. Otherwise, you're going to have a hard time. So in the high populous um, country like India, where there's a person with an electronics degree or uh, somebody with a computer science degree where you have such a vast number of um, skilled labor. Do you think that the employers even care because um, they could just hire somebody else? That's the fundamental problem uh, in our work culture. You know, I'm going to call them out because I don't work for them and I don't, I don't care. Uh, you know, the TCS is the cargoes of the whippers. I'm going to call them out all the time because one, they don't know how to interview people. Two, they don't know how to institute a culture. And three, they do not give two shits. Um, and sorry for being expletive, but they do not care. For your well-being, as long as, you know, you're, you're, you're a number to them, right? Like, we talked about it. You are a number. Like, that's what happens in most big firms, in my opinion, is that you are a number. Do you think that's kind of creeping into the startup culture because they can sense that there is such a high... Uh, 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 dearth of skilled labor and the attrition rate doesn't matter where everyone can just be trained in a few months. Oh, leave immediately. Leave immediately if that's the case. If you find out that your companies are revolving door remies, that's the day you head out. Uh, because one, it's a revolving door for a reason. Two, when you get in, you're going to be ground to a fine powder immediately because eventually you'll become a number that's going to feed into the bottom dollar and you never want that. Um, and also, you don't join a startup to be a number. You join a startup to build things. You join a startup to, do, like we said, grow the apple tree. So, With a belief in something. With a belief in something. Um, you know, that's a good point, man. Um, I don't think a lot of people go for companies with ethos anymore. Like, a lot of people just go for companies because, you know. It's the next big thing. Or, yeah. yeah. They have good marketing and branding. Right. Um, yeah. You want to work for Google. Yeah, cool. You know, working for Google is is no small feat. Like, you know, getting in there is pretty hard. But then you start to become a number there. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just want to know that it just, if you could put yourself in the shoes of like a fresh grad who's so um, conflicted about starting something. And we could talk about entrepreneurship in another episode uh, in the te- uh, tech scene or even as a small business, if you're a doctor or an engineer or a business owner or an artist or an artist or a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Like how heavily does that play on the psyche where you already know that you are just going to be a number in a big firm or you're just part of meeting a quota um, in a uh, startup. Like talk to me about how that might feel. A lot of people are comfortable in it, uh, with it at first. Uh, you'll be surprised. Like, you know, a lot of people join big companies and, they're happy to be there because, you know, they could put it on LinkedIn uh, and say, 
yeah, I work for uh, Acme Inc., which is the, one of the largest producers of toilet paper in the world. Like people do that. And then eventually, like if you are motivated enough, I think, and if you uh, believe that, you know, your expertise and your skill set uh, can do much more, uh, you'll start to see that I don't want to be comfortable. Like I want to get out of the comfort zone. I want to be able to build something myself. I want to be part of something that contributes to society. Uh, you naturally will drift away from the big companies and start to look for things that that will give you that sort of fulfillment in your in your life. But you know there are people that are comfortable, and all power to you. But uh, I personally am not somebody who's comfortable uh, in a single position or a single job or a single company. Yeah, I I totally agree. I feel that you have to go to bed at night knowing that you're making a difference in the world and not just letting it revolve into the same cycle that it always has been. I yeah. If if you guys agree or disagree, please uh, reach out to us on our social media. We have a Twitter account. Uh, it's at the Brain Juice. It's T H E B R A I N J U S. If you have uh, agreeing or conflicting arguments, please let us know and. If you have any other topics that you'd like us to discuss, uh, give us a shout out. We'd love the f- uh, feedback. And our next episode, Akshay, what do you think it should be? Great question. Um, I am sort of thinking about, you know, sort of the, the the whole aspect of pivoting careers from, you know, being an electrical engineer to being an artist. I, I do want to talk about that a little bit. Um, or we could talk about, you know, um, uh, the, the the education systems and what we were brought up in. You know, either one is, I think, would be helpful for our listeners to listen to. So we could sort of, yeah, definitely. And even even pivoting from a startup to a, a big firm or from a big firm to a startup, how do you know which um, w- which are the yeah. sticking points? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So are you are you done? Are you officially done probing me, Remy's? <laughs> yes for now <laughs> alright everyone I hope you enjoyed the podcast uh, please um, reach out to us and we'd appreciate the feedback until next time I uh, hope everyone's healthy and safe and see you soon thank you well that's a wrap on episode 3 hopefully we're starting to get the hang of this if you have questions, comments or concerns about our well-being or you just want to send us some money, reach us on Twitter at The Brangers. It was a pleasure having you on today. This has been your weekly dose of Brangers.